0: We are going to jump right into Matthew chapter 4. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and go there with me. We have spent the past couple of weeks talking about temptation in a a very general scope. We've talked about lots of aspects of temptation and the tactics and the strategy that Satan will use against us. And this morning, uh, we're going to go right to this particular encounter now between Jesus and Jesus. And Satan in the wilderness, and I want us this morning. We're going to look at the first of the three temptations. And you say, "Wow, how are you going to preach that long about one temptation?" Uh, you just wait and see. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, maybe not. But um, I want what I want us to do this morning is to get beyond the surface, get beyond a, a superficial look or understanding of what these temptations are about and really get to the root of what they are, because I think we will find them to be way deeper uh, than we may have thought before. So Matthew chapter four, uh, we're going to look at verses two through four this morning. So let's read those those verses together. After he, meaning Jesus, had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, It is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, this is where we're going to focus our, our time this morning, and we're going to go verse by verse, and I want us to see exactly what is happening here in this encounter between Jesus and Satan. So when we go to verse 2, as we begin, it says, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, I don't know about you, but I've often wondered about all of the things that took place in that 40 days while Jesus was in the wilderness. Um, All that the scripture really tells us is that he was there, that he endured temptation from Satan, and that he fasted. Um, this was an important time of preparation for Jesus. Jesus, um, he had just been baptized, the, the spirit had descended on Christ, the The father had spoken over him, this was the, the public beginning, very public beginning of his ministry, and immediately after that, the spirit leads him into the wilderness, wilderness. and it's obvious that this is a time of preparation for Jesus, um because what did the scripture say to us that we should consider it joy when we face trials and tests because those tests produce endurance, right? So Jesus in his humanity, God had to put him in a place where he could develop that endurance in Jesus' humanness just as much as he had endurance in his divinity. And so... He spent this time alone with God. You think of the 40 days that he spent in the wilderness. He was completely by himself. He was undisturbed, undistracted by people. You can, every time we're in the Gospels, Jesus was constantly surrounded by people. But this, these 40 days before that public ministry really began, he's alone with God. He's undisturbed. And I just imagine the time that Jesus spent with the Father during that 40 days. I think maybe we read that and we just think Jesus just wandered around in the wilderness kicking rocks for 40 days thinking about how hungry he was. But I think that Jesus was immersed in an intimacy with God during that 40 days. That there was, um, that there was worship that happened that Jesus worshipped the Father during that time, that Jesus spent countless hours in prayer to the Father, that he spent sweet fellowship time with God. And I don't know whether you have experienced those kind of times before. I hope you have. I can, I can think of times in my life where, where I've experienced those kind of things completely alone. We often depend on gatherings to do that for us, don't we? Many of us depend on church and, and our small groups to create these kind of encounters with God. But, but Jesus didn't have that. And Jesus had this, he, this intimacy with the Father during this time. And Jesus knew that for him to accomplish what God was calling him to do, what God had sent him to do, it would take full obedience complete obedience Jesus knew he was going to have to be completely in tune and obedient to every command that the father gave him and he knew that that obedience was going to require total dependence because remember Jesus is fully God he's fully divine but he's still fully human as well and so he is going to need to depend upon the father completely so that he can be obedient to the father completely and so the Spirit leads him into this place where his flesh had nothing else to depend on except the Father. He's out in the wilderness. He's alone by himself. He has no, no roof over his head. He has no, he, he's choosing. He's instructed by God to fast during this time. His humanness has nothing else to depend on. So all he has... Is the Father. And I think this teaches us something about ourselves that I think you will, you'll agree with me is true. And here, here it is. We will only obey Jesus as much as we are depending on Jesus. We will only obey Jesus as much as we're depending on Jesus. Jesus was in the wilderness, had nothing else to depend on, so he was practicing total dependency on the father this is what most of us you and i will do we will come into this room and we will sing i need you lord i need you and we will walk out for the rest of the week and never say it again until we happen to sing the song again and you know why we won't need him because we have a plethora of other things that we depend on we have other people that we depend on. We have our money that we depend on. We have our food that we depend on. We have the government that we do or don't depend on. We have you understand what I'm saying? There there's so many other things that we place our dependence in other than God, but when we are most obedient to Jesus is when we are putting most of our dependence on him. When we put too much dependence in people, We will go to whatever lengths possible to make people happy, right? If I rely on you too much as your pastor, I will do whatever I have to do to keep you happy with me and I will depend on you more than I'm dependent on Jesus. And you have people in your life that that we 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 need. It's not saying we don't need each other because we do. That's a biblical principle. But if we need people more than we need Jesus, we will please people at any cost. If we if we put too much dependency on things that we have, material possessions, money, materialism takes over our lives. And then we become so focused on what we have and and what we gather for ourselves and And the houses we have and the cars we drive and the clothes we wear, materialism takes over. So we can't be too dependent on those things too. And if we become self-reliant, if we become self-dependent, where the only person we're relying on is us, then we will do whatever we have to do to make ourselves happy. And none of those are the way Jesus we see here, practicing and preparing for total dependence on God... Because total dependence for him is going to lead to total obedience. Do you see the the connection between those things? However much we are practicing dependency on Jesus, that will complete, that will go right along with our level of obedience to what he says. So this this is where Satan makes his first move on Jesus. Look at verse 3 in Matthew 4. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now we've talked about already the fact that Satan is strategic and he's efficient in the way he does things. Satan always prefers a worn down opponent. Just know that. And so this is when he comes to Jesus. Jesus in his humanness is worn down to a most vulnerable physical state he is tired he is probably not resting and sleeping well he he could be experiencing pain fatigue and Jesus in his humanness was probably experiencing loneliness in some capacity because he had no one around him his family was not there his friends he had he had no one And Satan sees that, and it says after he had been there for 40 days and after he was hungry, then the tempter comes to him. And he goes after Jesus' most obvious physical need and desire, which when you've been fasting for 40 days is what? Food. What are you going to physically want more than anything? You're going to want... Food. So Satan goes directly after that thing that would have been Jesus' greatest physical need. But the temptation is not about food. This temptation is not about just getting Jesus to eat. It's so much deeper. And almost every time Satan comes at you or I with a temptation, it's not about the thing that he's putting before us. It's not about the thing he's trying to get us to do. It's about something much deeper. And so there are two things that I think. Satan will always throw at us a temptation that looks like this, but underneath the surface, it's something else. And he will disguise it. And here he disguises the temptation he's trying to lure Jesus into with with words where he says one thing, but what he's really saying is something underneath the surface. And I want to tell you, there's, there's two big things that I think he is is tempting Jesus with. Here's number one. Don't trust what God says. Don't, you don't need to trust what God says. Now, Satan doesn't say that. What he says is, if you are the son of God. Now, when he says that, don't misunderstand. Satan is not questioning whether or not Jesus is the son of God. Okay, He's not saying, like, if you're the son of God, prove it. We can sometimes read that and think that's what he's saying, but that's not really what he means. It's easier to understand what he means as if we were to say, since you are the son of God. Because you are, Satan acknowledges and is not arguing with the fact that Jesus is God's son, but he is saying to him, you're God's son, why are you out here being hungry? Do you know who you are? I know who you are. You're you're the son of God. What are you doing walking around out here needing food and not having it? You realize you don't have to be hungry, Jesus. You can tell those stones over there to become bread because you're Jesus. You can do that. Use the power that you've been given is what Satan is trying to get Jesus to do he's like look you've got the power to meet your own need for food just do it but the whole one of the main purposes for Jesus being in the wilderness is for him to lay aside his power the reason he's been sent into the wilderness is so that he, in his humility before the Father, he could lay his power aside in full dependency and full obedience to what God would have him do from that point forward. So it's not about food, it's about power. Satan's first attempt here is the same as his first attempt with Adam and Eve in the garden, to question God's instruction. What did he say to Adam and Eve? Did God really say you couldn't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Which is exactly what God did not say. Satan's first approach with them was his first approach with Jesus. Question the word of God. Are you sure this is the way it's supposed to be? Just because God said so? Why would God not meet This desire, a reasonable desire. Let me ask you this. When are you most tempted to question God's instructions for you? when Think about that just for your own life. When are you tempted to take the instructions that God has given you in his word Take those instructions, lay them aside, and in your own power, go after something that is outside of that instruction. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11 is a great passage to remember. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? Answer, by keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. There it is. Do you remember Vacation Bible School? Do you remember saying the pledge to the Bible? I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word, and will make it a lamp to my feet and a light to my path and hide its words in my heart, there it is, verse 11, that I may not sin against God. Listen, guys, no matter where culture is going to move and what is reasonable to people is always going to be changing. Culture is going to shift in lots of different directions. What is reasonable to us is going to change over time. But we are called not to depend on our rationale or what we think is reasonable. We are called to trust God's word in trust and submission to it. The world looks at the word of God right now and sees in their minds how unreasonable it is. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to trust that God has a knowledge and a will that is greater than ours and to fully show our trust in his word, completely submitting to its authority in our life. This is what Satan is trying to break in Jesus. This is what he was trying to break in Adam and Eve. And in in the garden, it worked, right? They questioned God's instruction. They questioned what he said, because it seemed reasonable for them to do what he said not to do. So the first thing he will say to us is, don't listen to God. Here's the second thing. He says, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. You should have what you want. First, Satan will will have us question the word of God in our life, what he says his will and instruction is, and then second, he will convince us that whatever we want is a good thing to have. And there's nothing wrong with the fact that you want that and you should have it. This is the temptation of self-gratification to satisfy our desires outside the love and the provision and the instruction of God. Wherever we find ourselves, to trust that God has placed us there with whatever we have, trusting that God has given us what we need to go outside of that and say, you know what, I want something more. God has given me this, he's put me here, but I want something more and it's not bad for me to want something more, so I'm going to step out of what God has already instructed and provided for me and I'm going to go after something else on my own. Self-gratification. See, Adam and Eve lost sight of all they had already been given. That was the way Satan lured them into this temptation. God literally said, every tree in the garden is yours, except for one. They, God had already provided for them everything they could possibly need. But in that moment that their eyes were fixed on the one thing that they couldn't have, they lost sight of everything that they already have. Doesn't he do that with us. When we get in our minds that there's something that we don't have, we turn blind to the bountiful blessings that he has already given us. So this is how he tempts us with self-gratification, okay? I'm going to tell you the strategy here. First, we get confused between what we need and what we want. That's the first thing. We, we find ourselves in a place where Satan puts this before us and we get confused and we confuse ourselves. It's easy to turn a good want into a bad need. It's easy to turn a, a, a want for a good thing into a, a bad desire. There's, there's not many, I would say anybody in here, that has a desire for anything right now that's bad. Some of you might want a new car. Nothing wrong with that. Right? There's nothing inherently evil in whatever desire you have. Like you, you what, think, just whatever it is. Sometimes it's, it's not material things. Sometimes it's relationships. Like you want friends. You want a, a relationship. With a guy or a girl, you want your marriage to be better. You want your relationship with your kids to be better. All those things are, are, are good things. But what happens when we turn something that we want into something that we need that's outside of what God has provided for us and then God doesn't meet that need. Let's say here, here's, here's something that I see that I want but god hasn't given me that if i trust that god is going to provide all of my needs then i can come to a i can come to grips with the fact that i don't have that maybe that's not something that god in his sovereignty and will knows that i really need and so he's not given me that yet maybe he's making plans to give that to me later but because i see something that i want and we all do it. And then we turn it into a need. And when God doesn't give us what we want because we've turned it into a need, we all of a sudden see God is not meeting our needs. Are you with me? I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to put into words what, what's a very internal thing. We see something we want. We decide that we need it. I mean, how many times do you say that in a week? I need this. You see it on... Facebook you see it on Pinterest you see it on um, Amazon I need that do you really but if you want something bad enough you'll convince yourself that you need it and then when you don't have it or you're waiting on God to give it to you because it's a want and not really a need he's not giving it to you so now all of a sudden God's not meeting my needs when he really is Some of us have a need for, um, this is where he will come into our marriages. Like There's a need for physical intimacy and love. There's a need for emotional love and connection. And if for some reason it's not as good as we want it to be in our marriage, if God's not providing that, what do we do? We go outside of that to go find it ourselves. Or that's the temptation fashion and materialism we see something material fashion wise something that we need God doesn't provide it for us or doesn't provide for us the means to be able to get that so what do we do we go after it ourselves we go into debt we mismanage all of the stuff that he has already given us so then we can go after this thing that he, he didn't really give us the money to be able to have that. But because we want it so much, we've convinced ourselves that we need it. So we go after it and get it. And now we're, we're in much worse shape than we were before. Professional success. Maybe we want to climb the ladder, but it's not happening the way we want it to. So, because we need to do this and this to get to the top, we will step on whoever we have to step on to get to where we want to be. You see what we do? Are you with me? Can I want to? Yeah, I want to see a few of you shaking your heads because I, I just I want so desperately for you to get this. Here's the next point I want you to remember. Satan wants you to see God as your rival, not as your father. That's the the goal of all of this that he does with us. That's what he's doing with Jesus. You're you're his son. Why is he not giving you what you need? Maybe for you. You love Jesus. Jesus. You come to church every week. You do good things. You serve. You give your tithe. You do all of these things. You're you're honest. You're good. There's something that I want. Why hasn't God given you that? That's not a bad thing for you to want, is it? Well, if God's not going to give it to you, maybe you should just go after it yourself. David Platt says, every sin that we commit is tantamount to a rejection of God as our Father, the one who knows what is best for us and is committed to provide it for us. There's a fundamental truth that this temptation goes after, and it's the truth that God will always provide for us everything that we need. So look at Jesus' response to this temptation. Look at verse 4. He answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What was Jesus' primary defense against temptation? The word. It was scripture. What did Psalm 119 say? I've treasured your word in my heart that I may not sin against you that pledge to the Bible when you were kids, I've hidden God's word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. I will always lose the battle with temptation. I will always lose it and you will always lose it if there is more sin hidden in my heart than God's word. And we wonder why we lose. Because most of us are doing putting much more effort into hiding sin in our heart instead of hiding God's Word in our heart, instead of treasuring that. We're holding on to our sin. We're holding on to our desires of what we want. And then we're hiding it from people. We have to know what Scripture says. We have to know His Word. There's, there's your primary weapon against temptation is Scripture. If, if, if we don't know God's word and we don't know it beyond just being able to look it up like treasuring it in your heart means you know what it says you may not be able to tell somebody the exact scripture chapter and verse and book or whatever but you know what it says treasured in your heart if, if we don't have scripture in our hearts it's like for you superhero people it would like trying to it would be like trying to fight iron man barehanded like it's it's useless you're going to you're you're going to lose we're in a supernatural battle so jesus turned to scripture that was his primary defense he turned to god's word and I, and i want you to know he didn't just like he he was quoting from the old testament there and i want to take you to where he was quoting and i want you to see the correlation like why did jesus choose this scripture to to counteract the temptation that satan was bringing to him go to it's in deuteronomy 8 and you can write a note of it and go back but i'm going to show it to you last week we we read deuteronomy 8 verses 1 and 2 right the instructions of moses to the people as they were saying this is why god has brought you into the wilderness To humble you and to test you? I want to read to you verses 2 and verse 3, which is what Jesus is quoting here. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 says, Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. That's what we saw last week. Now, going down to verse 3. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat. Which you and your ancestors had not known. So that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone. But on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So Jesus said directly quotes to Satan Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3 and look at verse 3 it says God humbled you by letting you go hungry he allowed the people to be hungry why so that later on he could provide for their need and they could see his faithfulness Sometimes some of us are not seeing the faithfulness of God to provide our needs for us because we're in too big of a hurry meeting those needs for ourselves. Jesus was literally reliving the testing of Israel here in the wilderness. You remember? We said they were there for 40 years. He was in the wilderness for 40 days. Same temptations he God allowed Israel to go hungry to be hungry in the wilderness so that they would learn to what fully depend on him for everything they need and then he met their need and were t- to be drawn or supposed to be drawn closer to him because he met their needs and they see his faithfulness and goodness Jesus is reliving the same thing here, but he's being tempted by Satan. Don't trust the Father for what it is that you need. Just make it happen yourself. But Jesus is successful. Jesus is trusting in his Father in a way that Israel did not. And that was to me every physical need that he had according to his will. Jesus said no, no. I'm not going to do that because I understand the purpose. I understand why I'm here. And I'm putting all of my dependency on the Father because my Father is good. And my Father has promised to meet every one of my needs. Israel lost their trust in God. Their trust in his goodness to provide for them. And so what did they do in the wilderness when they lost their trust in God to provide for them everything they needed? You know what they did? By their own power, they made gods for themselves. You remember? They took all their gold, made a big golden cow out of it, danced around it, worshipped it. When God didn't give them What they wanted, when they wanted it, they found for themselves a God who would. This is what we do. When we don't have a total, complete dependency on Jesus to provide for us everything that in trusting that he knows everything that we need and when we don't trust him to give us and provide for us everything that we need we will make a God out of whatever that thing is that we want and chase after it and we become like Israel when we constantly complain and whine to God about all the things that we don't have when we are we are surrounded in that moment by a huge provision of everything he has given us this is who we become we become Israel we are sitting in the middle of our blessed life with tons of things that God has provided for us and met our needs but what are we doing we are whining and complaining to him because of one thing that we want really bad that we've convinced ourselves that we need, and God, you're not giving me what I need, so I'm going to have to go find it myself. The key to overcoming this temptation, though, you may think, okay, Eric, well, if I'm going to overcome this in my life, the way for me to overcome it is to just quit wanting stuff, right? If I just stop desiring these things so much, then, then that will please God And this won't happen, and and that's what I need to do. But that's not what you need to do. The key to overcoming this temptation isn't wanting everything else less. It's about wanting Jesus more. That's the key. And here's the last big point I want you to remember. We won't trust God to satisfy us until he is our greatest satisfaction. I hope that makes sense to you. You will never be able to fully trust Jesus to satisfy and meet all your needs until He is the thing that you're most satisfied in. It's, it's Him. Jesus was able to endure that temptation because he had, spent, he had spent all of that time, that 40 days with the Father, He had spent praying that connection we talked about at the beginning that he had with the father he had such delight and satisfaction in the relationship that he had with the father bread was not a big deal and the trick for us is not to just program ourselves to quit wanting things it's it's perspective if my desire and my satisfaction in who he is and what he does in my life, that can go to a point where when I look at all these other things, it's like that's not really that big a deal. I don't need that. And if I do need it, God's going to provide it. So I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to chase after it. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 4. Verses 31 through 34. Listen. Listen. It says, in the meantime, the disciples kept urging him. This is is later on in his ministry. After this encounter with Satan, they kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something, because Jesus wasn't eating anything. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? Because they think he's talking about physical food, and that's not what he's talking about. In verse 34, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. You see? This is is it. This is where we see it. Jesus was filled with something greater. And it was the joy of his relationship with the Father and the satisfaction of living completely in his will, in that complete dependence, on the Father to give him everything that he needs to accomplish the mission that the Father has called him to. So he wasn't worried about fish. He wasn't worried about bread because his soul was satisfied with something way better. Psalm 107, verses 8 and 9 says, Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love, and his wondrous works for all humanity. For he has, what? Satisfied the thirsty and filled the hungry with good things. That verse isn't about food and water. It's about your soul. It's about the souls of people. We'll always be looking for the next best thing until we can finally let Jesus be our greatest desire. Let Jesus be our greatest fulfillment. Then all that we're tempted to chase after outside of his plan and his will for us and his purpose for us will always look small.